welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, so I'm online with Dan Wallin today. Thanks for joining me, Dan. Thanks for having me. Always good to talk with you. I am. Um, I was really excited to see that you landed in that team. I know you know you've been outside of the pockets of Microsoft a lot of your career, and we bumped into each other a while back now, about five years, five six years ago at um, NG Comp, right? Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Kind of teamed up uh, with three of us. It was kind of interesting because that scenario was you know me. I think it was a year in Microsoft in M three six five developer marketing, kind of evangelizing the whole platform but to a non, very non-friendly audience of, you know, Angular developers run by Google <laughs> and you being on stage in the keynote showing off, I think it was TypeScript you were showing off and that was when TypeScript first launched, right? Sounds about right. Yeah, sounds about right. And I just remember just the reactions from that room when I think before you went up, one of the Google devs, it might've even been Brad, the original creator of Angular, was demoing with Microsoft Visual Studio Code. And that was like the first time that that publicly had been seen used by a non-Microsoft person on stage, you know? And so then you walked up and was like, hey guys, I'm from Microsoft. And there wasn't this like instant knee jerk booing. It was yeah. kind of like, wow, this is cool. What are they going to show this TypeScript stuff? So it was nice to catch up there at that event. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it's fun uh, to integrate when you have these different technologies that others haven't seen before. Because, you know, we all kind of live in these pockets, I think, sometimes. Yeah. It's kind of fun. You know, sometimes the reaction's good. And I think it was in that case. Um, and, you know, you've probably seen the other side of that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, what brought you to Microsoft? What's been your, um, you know, what's your background for people that aren't aware of you? Maybe in our space. I'm in, in normal web development space, you're extremely well known. But maybe um, in our pocket of M365 dev. How would people know you and what have, what have you focused on in your career? Yeah, I mean, I think the only people that actually do know me are my wife and kids at this <laughs> point. But hey, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I worked for 20 years in the kind of consulting and training world. Um, so did a lot with, you know, .NET, uh, Node and JavaScript and TypeScript and Angular and React and all that fun stuff. So I've kind of been a little more focused on custom app line of business scenarios with companies, architecture, you know, things like that. Uh, been at Microsoft a whole, gosh, I think I think at the end of today, two months maybe now. Wow. Time flies, Jeremy. Have you been immortalized into the Borg of that's great feedback and I'll get back to you on this and North Star. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, the, the team I'm with have been really like, super in inclusive as far as like involving us. And it's been really good that way because they've been very open to feedback. And we'll talk about some of that, I guess, as we go along. But yeah, it's it's been uh, busy, but fun. And so tell me, for those that maybe we've had um, a few folks on there here, I think um, Ikeri is going to be on the show after you actually talking about some stuff that's also in your team. Um, but how would you explain the dev advocate role and how it fits into like the engineering process at Microsoft? Yeah. Well, with my two whole months of experience, Jeremy, let me tell you, you know, <laughs> I'm an expert at this. No, <laughs> I mean, really our role, and I'm not quite there yet because what we'll talk about uh, as of today is still being about to be released, but it's coming up soon. Our goal is kind of to gather feedback and integrate with developers, um, you know, have them use it and then give that feedback back to the team. That's probably the primary role, I would say. 
But then, you know, vice versa, we also help integrate the team with some of these scenarios. Um, and that could be third party companies, for example, um, which is actually pretty fun to see what, you know, some of these other companies, the ideas they have and what they want to build. The other part, though, um, which will probably be where I'll spend, you know, a ton of time is in order to integrate with developers, you kind of need to tell them about, you know, what you're doing and what the, uh, in this case, the framework is. And so we'll spend a lot of time uh, I, in the two months I've been there. We haven't got to do this yet, but once it's out, we will, uh, you know, from videos to learning paths, to conferences, to workshops, to all that stuff. Yep. So you'll be kind of, I guess, the face of this moving forward or the most focused face on this externally, uh, that kind of that breadth level. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually two of us. Uh, Matt Amonetti is another guy I work with and Matt and I will kind of kind of work on that. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we've had Bob, Bob on the call a few times uh, to talk about Microsoft Teams development. So Bob German, uh, talk about Teams development stuff. So he's also in your team. Um, so it's great to see this focus in the dev advocate world of like this, you know, breadth reach developers through the conferences and training and just general outreach. I think it's just excellent to have that not so close to engineering reality check that we get from that group is going to be awesome so welcome to microsoft i guess yeah well thank you and um just a <laughs> big thank you for all your training i you know when i first met you I had a bit of starstruck because i used all of your training to learn.net many moons ago <laughs> and so you know that was back in the day when sharepoint was all.net and now because he's like sharepoint dev is spfx and it's you know all react now um it'd actually be interesting to see how many folks have used your react training to did you do the React stuff? I guess you did, right? Uh, a little more on the Angular side. Um, Angular side. With companies, yeah. yes. But on like Pluralsight and stuff, no. More on the Angular side. On the Angular, yes, yeah, what I figured. Yeah, so today we wanted to talk about the Fluid Framework, what that is. Um, we've had Sam Broner on, who's from the engineering group, about four, 30, 30, 40 episodes ago, just kind of introduce it. But I really wanted to get your take because obviously you're not really an outsider, you're working very closely with them. But I figured, you know, from your training perspective and you're kind of coming into this when it's, well, out the door-ish, I guess, um, that I think you'd have a really good way of explaining it. So I thought this would be super valuable as it launches in open source that you can kind of give a different perspective on what the fluid framework is. So I guess the first question is, what is the fluid framework? That, that's the question of the day, right? <laughs> that, that's just like the 101 here. So I guess the nutshell version would be, it's a real-time collaboration, real-time data sync library. Now, kind of what I mean by that is obviously throwing in the word collaboration kind of infers that, yeah, there must be multiple folks involved. Um, so think of, uh, you know, a lot of times in a desktop app or uh, JavaScript running in a browser, we talk about state, but that state is just local to the browser for the most part until, you know, they hit a submit button or something like that. And then it may go off to a, a RESTful service or, a, you know, an API of some type. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we kind of say that's not collaboration. That's just normal data exchange between a server and a client. And you're clicking refresh to get that data if you're another person. Exactly. So think of it as a way for you and I and all of the people listening to, if we had a to-do list, for example, uh, we could have a document that integrates this fluid framework into it and we could collaborate, you know, live on these to-do tasks. But the kind of great feature is you're not limited on where that can run. If, if it's web-based, then you could run this there. Um, so you're not 
like locked into you have to use Microsoft's such and such uh, thing. You can use this open source library, build it yourself, host it in your own apps, and then get this collaboration going. And then we can talk through some other scenarios because to-do list is kind of the most primitive, basic. But that's what it's all about, though, is real-time collaboration. I mean, I asked this question to Sam and um, with what you've just explained, like, yeah, you know what's coming. Like, why not just use like web sockets and socket, you know, like a socket IO framework to do this? Like, what is the difference between me grabbing, you know, the Angular kind of give demo of to do and putting socket IO on it, which I think they've probably even done versus using Fluid Framework? Like, what are you getting extra from this? Yeah. And that is an excellent question. That's probably the number one question I get so far, especially just when I'm talking amongst folks that don't know about it, even within Microsoft. Yeah, because that's the, to be honest, that's the first thing I, that was one of the first questions I asked in the uh, interview loop we go through before you, you know, get hired on here was, well, can I just do that? What you just said with WebSockets? Yeah. (laughs) And it turns out I was a little naive and didn't realize. So there's a lot of algorithms out there. Let's kind of put it this way. Let's say we're doing a to-do list. You're typing in the first item, but then I see what you type, you know, because we're collaborating, but then I instantly realize you have a typo in the front. And, you know, we've all seen this with any real-time kind of rich text editors that are out there on the web um, that, you know, as you type, I see a typo, I can go back and fix it. WebSockets could definitely send the data. In fact, WebSockets are used under the covers with the Fluid Framework because we need that real time. The difference, though, is it turns out there's really just a ton of complexities involved when it comes to making sure the data is ordered properly, especially when you talk about things like strings. Um, You know, let's say you typed hello world, but you accidentally left a space out uh, between hello and world. So it's kind of, you know, jammed together. I then go in or there could be five other people involved and I add a space, but then you've added stuff maybe somewhere else in world. Well, to get that all synced up properly is actually pretty tricky because you could say, well, last one wins. That in the case of that type of editing, that doesn't work so well. And they have all these algorithms. Um, people can go look up. You have total broadcast and you can order these. You have uh, CRDTs, they're called. And there's all these algorithms. And a lot of them, by the way, like you'll have these professors that'll come up with these really creative algorithms. In the case of CRDT, gosh, I think there's like eight of them that they thought were legit and they then later prove them wrong. I say that because once I started going down this road and researching, yeah, how do you collaborate and sync up all this stuff so it matches? I, it kind of, it's a big eye opener. Right, right. And so is the framework kind of based on all the, like the learnings we've had, like Word has had co-authoring. I can't remember where that came out now. I remember being in a keynote somewhere at Ignite where they showed it on stage and everyone was like, no, there's no way. But is it all based on that learning within the office division now kind of wrapping into this framework? Is that kind of the play? Yeah. So right now, uh, Word's not using what we're talking about. But at some point, I would, I'm just going to make a prediction that assuming everything goes as planned, I would guess it would at some point. Mm-hmm. That's that's a completely different group. So I'm kind of speaking out of turn, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the general idea because even, even with what Word does, there's some limits, it turns out. And with this, um, I mean, it's not like you'd want a thousand or 2000 people collaborating on a, you know, a document or there's many other scenarios we can go through. 
but you could with a fluid framework. I find from internal discussions and being at hackathons we've had and dev kitchens with various different ISVs that there are particular scenarios that come up of like where people immediately gravitate towards with this framework. Obviously, the word document co-authoring is a great notion of that. Um, and this notion of uh, building your own custom component that can be dropped in a fluid document for you to do stuff. And then games obviously immediately come to play because of the notion of it being real time and multiplayer gaming, especially in the EDU space. But like, what are your like three canonical things that you would demo if you're on stage or are you having a quick conversation to open people's eyes so that maybe you don't lead them down? Oh, this is a gaming engine or this is just a a word editing framework and how many people are building games in the enterprise and how many people are building rebuilding word as an isv like what what kind of scenarios do you see play out yeah which is a very also a very good question because definitely when we have some of the internal you know hackathon type things you do see a lot of kind of game scenarios come up for this because it's really good at that the latency is amazing by the way with this i mean we're talking kind of unheard of low latency on, they, they call it ops, which is the transfer of you typed and then I typed and they typed. That transfers an op and it's really fast. So for games, yeah, that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind, right? But yeah, sadly, uh, you know, my game company never made it, Jeremy. So <laughs> it didn't, you didn't turn it into Slack and you know become a billion dollar value company. <laughs> that's <Come> right. <laughs> I actually did do a project. Uh, it was a self-funded one years ago with Unity 3D. Oh, wow. And okay. uh, let's just say that a, a certain person in the family who shall remain unnamed, I'll just say it might be a she, <laughs> sort of shut down the funding <laughs> after we hit a certain mark. <laughs> You close the garage like, door and it. you're done. Yeah, she's like, you're either ready to ship it. She was like the PM, you know, you're either ready to ship it now or we're shutting it down. And I, we weren't ready to ship yet. So um, so to get back to your question, I think the two things people think of are number one, hey, that means I could have a rich text editor and I could type and they can type. And But again, that's like, how often do you, you need to build that? Right. Or a game which probably a lot of us wish we could do more of, but sadly we have other jobs. So a couple of scenarios, and, and these aren't ones that, um, these are ones I'd like to have at some point as demos, but that we don't. I'll give you one that we do um, that was shown in, uh, it was the last build actually. And uh, it's kind of been renamed now to Brainstorm. And Brainstorm is an idea of you have sticky notes, kind of like a sticky note board uh, for ideas. And, you know, let's say there's a team of 10 of us in, a, in a remotely, obviously distributed, and we need to contribute these sticky notes, uh, these ideas, and I'll see them. Well, with Fluid, it'd be uh, very easy now for you to add a sticky note and me, and then we can vote on it. Um, and so we could actually like highlight and you'll get this real time feedback. Oh, that's cool. And then, you know, we could choose the winners and then maybe drag those over to another board. And that would be one example is just real time kind of brainstorming. Some others, though, that I think would be really compelling to build someday. And I'm, we'll see if I ever get to this. I, uh, you know, before all this stuff hit in the world, um, used to travel a ton. And uh, in doing so, um, and you've hit this a lot, probably. You know, how many times do you get stuck at an airport because weather? For me, it was always either Chicago or uh, DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth. 
with uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, for example, they'd have a lightning storm or a tornado or something, I'd be stuck. So then you're either running to the counter really fast because everybody then lines up at the counter or you're trying to get somebody on the phone. Imagine though that I could literally pull up like I fly American Airlines. So I don't know. Let's pretend it was their app. And I get a map that automatically pops up uh, the different alternative routes I could hit. So I, I missed my flight because of the weather, but there are some alternative ways to get home. Well, normally, if you've ever called up uh, an agent on the phone, you kind of have to visualize in your head, not only the cities they're going to route you through, but also, can I make those layovers? Do I want to go through that city? Are they having weather? You know, I mean, there's just all kinds of factors you have to visualize in your head. But if I had a map that would actually show me the alternative routes, and then I could actually ink on it, say I'm on my phone, for example, and I can actually ink out and circle the ones I'd like them to select. Well, now, first off, I wouldn't even necessarily, I'd probably still call, but we literally could have a chat if we wanted where they, I could say, hey, I missed my flight. What do you recommend? A map pops up. I highlight the items I want to go to. They then instantly see those. As I'm chatting, they instantly see that. Now, that's not revolutionary at all. But I think the cool thing here is not only can you do text and stuff, but you can also ink live. And so you could be drawing, I could be drawing, my wife could be on drawing, and we could highlight different parts, different cities. And then as we select those, they would instantly see them. They could push information to me. And you know, some of this you could say, well, I could just do that with WebSocket. But when you start getting into things like inking, yes, you can do that with WebSockets, but that gets way trickier when you have multiple people collaborate. So that'd be one scenario. The framework has inking kind of support to make that easier or? It does. Oh, it right. Does. Wow. Okay. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and I wanted to call that one out just because everybody thinks of text. Yes. Text is absolutely supported in various ways, uh, but so is inking. I guess that's the official term. <laughs> Drawing. That's cool. Know? Yeah, pretty cool there. Yes, I think that's really important is the understanding of like, you know, this differentiator between MidSocket.io and what this actually provides. Like it's not just text and it's drawing. Are there other like input mechanisms or scenarios like that that they're considering as part of this? Like obviously ink makes a lot of sense and is things that you can do in Word right now or um, Microsoft Whiteboard and different things. Yeah, and I think I think the big differentiator there is there's a lot of products out there, not only Microsoft, but obviously others that can do some of these things, but this allows developers to do it in their app. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the big difference here is if you did want to add like inking functionality or this collaboration, whether it's text or whatever, um, you know, you can totally do that. The To kind of get into how that work scenario wise, um, there's something called a, it's a, the short term is DDS. It's distributed data structure. And Sam probably went into some of this, but a little bit. Yeah. But. Yeah. You have these distributed data structures. They're called um, like you can have shared map, for example, and a shared map is kind of a key value store, but instead of it just being in your browser, it's distributed automatically. Okay. So the framework's aware of the fact that that's going on and yeah. can understand uh, the history of activity in a better, smarter way than you doing it on the back end and not on the front end. Yeah. Because another problem that comes up with this is if, let's say, myself and you know somebody else were already collaborating and then you joined five minutes later, mm-hmm. well, how do, you, how do you get caught up? Yep, yep, yep. Um, so you 
kind of need to replay the ops that would ha- have happened up to this point. So it handles that type of thing. And that's where the algorithms kick in and get a little bit tricky behind the scenes where they handle all that. Um, but what's so interesting about these DDSs um, is, you know, you have shared sequences and shared maps. Um, you can share your ink, as I mentioned, uh, shared string. Shared string sounds, first time I heard that, I went, oh, that must be one of the like more basic demo ones, right? <laughs> and they're like, ah, no. And then they walked me through like I did with Hello World, where people start fixing typos in the middle of text and as other people are typing, and it actually gets pretty complex really fast. So the beauty of it is not only do you not worry about the WebSocket underlying code, you just, in essence, set whatever you want on these shared maps, uh, your, your ink, your sequences, whatever, and it magically makes sure that those ops eventually get consistent across all of us. And so this, obviously, because that logic is not just a on the client side, there is a server-side component here. So what dependencies are you taking as an ISV or an enterprise dev if you want to use this? Like, do, do the users need a license of Office 365, M365? Where does it have to be hosted for the, to be able to call the service? Like, is there any kind of restrictions on, on those things? No, there won't be. So um, the Fluid Data Library, assuming that is the official thing we, by the time we ship, it sticks on the open source. <laughs> FDL, which is kind of this fluid framework. It's the underlying core functionality that certainly Microsoft 365 will use, but there's no dependency on that or even on like Azure. Yes, there is a server component. Now, most of the op stuff I'm talking about are actually handled. The reason the latency is so good and so fast is because most of the work is actually done on the client. Now, yes, there is... um, a server piece. Uh, there's kind of two that will be part of the open source. Uh, the kind of local version, if you just want to play with it locally and collaborate like between two browsers, for example, um, is called Tinylicious. I guess it's delicious, Jeremy. It, yeah. I, I did the hackathon I did. I did that. And I was like, I really want to speak to someone about where that name come from. But sure. <laughs> Developers. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> I heard one person say, because we think we're funny, so I don't know. The more robust one, and this is going to, typically it's going to involve like Docker containers and things like that, that can be hosted pretty much in any cloud, is called Routerlicious. And think of it as kind of an ordering server. If we, if you and I, if you're on Mars and I'm on the moon, let's say, and we have to communicate, uh, we got to move some robots or something that are up, you know, on Mars and on the moon, but that's where we're physically located. If we get to that point, the challenge there is, you know, I can send you lots of data, but did you get it in the proper order? So imagine we have a satellite between us. That's kind of your ordering server. It will get these ops, but instead of um, slowing things down, it will stamp them with an order. And then when the client gets them, it will actually figure out the proper order. So instead of the server doing all the heavy lifting there, the server is actually super, super efficient. Um, and it can like stamp it, okay, pass it on, and then eventually everything lines up. And this is the whole eventual consistency. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. That's interesting. And, and those names as well. I mean, we're recording this two weeks, two yes. weeks before, hopefully, before it ships. So the podcast, would like when they're listening to this, it'll be live. 
But um, it'll be interesting to see where all those names get baked. I mean, it's probably too late now to change them in the source code. So the devs won yeah. on that one. <laughs> I suspect so. <laughs> um, and then so in with the the notion of the components, so, you know, in the scenario that um, Vincent Beret and I built out for the hackathon, we had the one week hackathon we had at Microsoft a few weeks ago now, we use the objective key results notion. So... It's not new. Google have used this for more than 10 years and um, various companies like Intel have used this as well. Um, we've been using Microsoft now for like two years in our team. And the notion of you know having a team objective, having group objectives above us, and then really working on what are the key results to meet those objectives. So my objective is to have a successful and thriving partner ecosystem on Microsoft Graph. Well, one of those key results will be that we have ISVs shipping lighthouse stories that we can tell up, you know, Ignite in September and build in whenever. And so we built a, a fluid document and a, a fluid component, which was an, an OKR that we could add multiple of those component OKRs to the document. So we, you know, we have 10 OKRs. That was 10 fluid components in that fluid document. And the idea being is, is that we could co-author the status change of that a key result or change the percentage complete of that key result or change the the measured value of the key result and everyone in real time that had that fluid document would see it see it changing right now actually in production we use asdo for the sorry azure devops for this um but obviously azure devops is not co-authoring you don't have to you know keep f5ing and so the real benefit of this hackathon was is that you know in real time like you like the post-its you were talking about moving them around on a, on a board um is that you know if people have got it open in their browsers it's a really nice way of kind of collaborating on something in in a, a structured format you know in the sense that every objective key result component had various different data values that could be moved but everyone could co or kind of change them but could also see them changing if they were just viewing them and i think that scenario of having these structured components of like layout or form editing is i think is really compelling what other things have you seen in your time of like poking around with what people have built in the past that like those kind of stories that people can visualize that they kind of grok what this is really can be used for and maybe talk a bit about the fluid document concept as well sure the Fluid Data Library itself, just to kind of clarify the differences here, it's going to have these core building blocks to create something called data objects. And it would then be up to developers to take those data objects and think of the data objects as if if I, again, am on the moon and I need to transmit to you on Mars through this satellite between us, we'll say. Think of a, a data object is I walk into, I don't know, let's say NASA has a building on the moon um, that that we would kind of call a container. And then there's these, I don't know, we'll say dishes that I can physically see that I can walk up to and it has different keyboards around it. One of them sends, you know, strings, one can send ink type data, all that, that dish that transmits to the satellite, which then goes to you. Um, that's called a data object. It actually has these DDSs I was talking about. So again, the ability to share strings, ink, things like that. And so to get back to your fluid document, I just want to kind of clarify that. So there won't be like when you guys did the uh, OKR, you were able to leverage something that was already kind of a starting foundation um, for this and then build in. That part won't be um, with FDL. Mm-hmm. 
only the base functionality for, and I'll just call it the core functionality where you could do that. So think of it more as we're not going to give you any type of canvas. Um, we're not going to give you any type of UI. It will be up to you to build these kind of transmitters, these data objects that use the DDSs to transmit. And then you can wrap those in your own uh, component. So you could use Angular, you could use Vue, React. So just wanted to kind of clarify that real quick, that right. there won't be any UI aspect in this part. Yeah. Now, something like that may be coming later. Yeah, okay. Because the, the Fluid document preview is available to customers now. So you can yep. go to the Fluid preview and you get a blank canvas and then you can click and add various things to that page, whether it's a, a table or a, a to-do list or bullet points, whatever. To-do list, agenda, yeah. And that's co-authoring. And actually, we've used that in our own team meetings as a sometimes just to, you know, flesh something together as a lightweight version of Word. And so with this first release, though, you won't be able to go build additional components for that fluid preview. Is that what you're saying? Um, you, you could build those type of things, but again, there won't be any UI part um, that would be right. kind of on you to host those somewhere, in other words. Okay. Now, you know, like the demo you saw, I think it was at Build or Ignite the previous years where you mentioned it, where people are typing it live translates. Yeah, Mike Morton's demo. Yeah. 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 It was, which was super cool. You could totally build that with these tools. But again, think of it as more of the raw building blocks. It's kind of the. Mm-hmm. Lower level of the the Lego blocks. So you'd you'd be building the rendering, but you the renderer would receive the data from the Fluid framework. Yeah, and it's up to you to build that view. So you'd be you'd still be building the translation part of that demo. Yeah, but you'd get the English string, and in your UI, you would receive it and push it through as a translated thing. Okay, that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. So kind of think of it as it's going to give you the building blocks to subscribe to changes that are happening as people collaborate and then it'll be on you to render that change somehow and so does this really only make sense for web because i know you've talked all about the client and my understanding of it of being like there's something in the browser that's doing all this magic locally to then send over to that router delicious or <laughs> tiny delicious yeah. thing i will grin every time i say those sam will probably just roll his eyes i still do i still yeah. do it, could this work if I'm an Objective-C iOS developer or a Java developer in Android or a you know, .NET developer building Windows apps, or is it purely web? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's purely web just from the standpoint of it can run anywhere JavaScript can run. So it is, it is JavaScript. So Yeah, that's fair. So if you had a PWA on a mobile app or something. Exactly. Yeah. Or if you had like a, a web view you know, mm-hmm. embedded in an iOS app or something like that, you could do this. Yeah, as of today, it's uh, JavaScript only. Now, I won't make any predictions, but I would suspect maybe even the community will add uh, you know, other functionality there once it's open sourced. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think that's the exciting thing about this approach Microsoft's taken with this is like it's a very sophisticated product um, and open sourcing that is going to be exciting to see what the community does with it. And I think the key to the success of this is just awesome samples that people can go dig into and give people those kind of like envisagement of what, you know, what 
what the art of the possible is with this framework. Yeah. Cool. And so um, we will definitely get you back on in like six months and you can tell all the amazing stories of what's been built out there in the wild. Totally agree. Uh, how do people follow you? What's um, How can we keep in touch with you? Because I'm assuming you're going to be blogging and tweeting a storm of all this content <laughs> you're going to be creating in the next few months once it's out the door. Yeah. Well, first, um, once we're officially live, which by the time this is out, we hopefully will be, uh, fluidframework.com is where people will be able to go to read up on it, run some samples right there, get to the GitHub repo, all that kind of fun stuff. So that'd be one of the key uh, websites to know for this. As far as that, yeah, I'm on Twitter a lot, mainly for technical stuff. I'm on Twitter, uh, Dan Walleen. So D-A-N-W-A-H-L-I-N, hard to spell last name. But uh, on there, on LinkedIn, stuff like that. And then I blog at uh, codewithdan.com as well. Awesome. Well, look, thanks for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. And once this is all craziness is over, I will look forward to our uh, sushi date in Redmond because it's been probably for three years since you were last in town. We went and did that buffet. Absolutely. Oh, that was great. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. That, that, that was, was good, awesome. right? Yeah. See, actually, since you recommended that place, I think I've taken about 15 and 20 people there. So you can take credit for that recommendation. All right. All right. It was, it was yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, good luck with it all. I'm, again, super, super glad you're on board. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what people do with the framework. And I'd encourage you to definitely plug into Dan because, um, you know, he's going to be the guy um, to ask about all this stuff. So, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what everyone does with it in the next few months. Me too. Me too. So, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Cheers, buddy. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 